Thank you, Shem. Well, good morning, church. Uh, if you're new here and don't know me, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And if we haven't met yet, I would encourage you, I'd invite you to introduce yourself to me after the service. I would, I would love to, to meet you. Um, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, I think we still have people out of town for Thanksgiving, so uh, keep them in your, in your prayers. It's good to see uh, all of you here today. Um, we have been, to bring you up to speed, we have been looking at the life of Moses, mainly through the book of Exodus. Well, the story of Moses continues into the book of Numbers, and we saw that as we read Numbers chapter 12 just now. A few weeks ago when I was uh, talking with you, I had mentioned that there have been so many people in our church who are going through hard times. And in one way or another, times are just tough for you right now. And, and here's the thing, as I have talked with so many of you, and as I have prayed with so many of you, there's something that has stood out to me in the middle of it all, and it's this. That, that when your relationships are solid, you all can handle just about anything the world throws at you. It's been amazing to watch. But when your relationships are on the rocks, no matter how good everything else is going, life stinks. Have you noticed that? You all have gone through some incredibly difficult, difficult times. Whether it be pressure at work, or severe illness, or people talking smack behind your back, homelessness, the death of someone that you love, and, and you were amazed that it didn't crush you because you realized it was because you had some strong, supportive relationships. But there can also be times when, when everything in your life seems to be going perfectly, but one key relationship goes bad, and it just totally sucks the joy out of everything else. You know, Jesus himself said that life is all about relationships. He says this. He says, he gives us the two greatest commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. So, here's what I'd like for us to do um, this morning. Uh, I, I want you to think about a, a relationship that you have that is messed up right now. Okay? Something, something is wrong with it. it. It might be strained. It might be totally shattered. It might be your spouse. It could be a child, a parent, a brother, a sister, a friend, someone at work, someone in the church, someone at school, a neighbor, or maybe all of the above. It's possible. Now, have you thought of somebody? I think 99% of you have. For the rest of you, if you don't have a difficult person in, in your life, you can call the church office because we've got like a whole list of difficult people. We can hook you up with one. Just kidding, we don't. Yes, we do. If you don't have any strained relationships right now, then think of a relationship that's good, but it's, it's not quite what it could, could be. And I think, I think that covers everybody. Now, Whoever it is, I want you to keep this person or these people in your mind as, as we go through this. Okay? Be, 
actively listening and actively praying for the Holy Spirit to, to maybe show you how you might need to respond to this person or these people in your life. Because life comes down to relationships. This is critical. Our passage today, if you were paying attention, it may have sounded like a weird story, right? But as weird as it seems, it gives us some insight into our relationships. So uh, let me put it in context. The Israelites are in the wilderness, and God, through Moses, delivered, miraculously delivered the Israelites uh, from slavery in Egypt and is, and is leading them to the promised land. But then conflict develops between Moses and his siblings, between Moses and his sister Miriam and brother Aaron. And, and from this story, as weird as it seems, we actually see four, I think, very important lessons about our relationships. Two lessons about our relationship with others and two relationship about our relationship with God. First, our relationship with others. If you're taking notes and using the outline in the bulletin, lesson number one, pride poisons. Pride poisons. And we see that in Aaron and, and Miriam's treatment of Moses. From Miriam and Aaron, we see three marks of a prideful person. Three things that, that poison relationships. And the first of the three things that I want to mention is this, that a, a proud person sits in judgment. That's what a proud person does. They sit in judgment. Verse 1 says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. Now, Moses, Moses had married Zipporah back when he was in Midian. And, and there was nothing wrong from God's perspective with Moses marrying her. But apparently, Moses' brother and Moses' sister didn't like the fact that Moses married a non-Hebrew. And some of the commentators suggest that, that their criticism smacks of, of racism, and it does. But more likely, their criticism was just, was just a smokescreen. As you look at it closer, you see that their complaint has nothing to do with Moses' wife and has everything to do with being envious of Moses' unique role. Now, we do this today, and it's the root of our criticism of other people. We want to be the star. We want to be center stage. And when someone is doing better than us or looking better than us, then we begin to look for something in, in that person for us to criticize. So a proud person sits in judgment. Second, a proud person plays the comparison game. In verse 2, they say, they say this, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? I don't think so. Has he not spoken through us also? See, here's the deal. The Lord had spoken through Miriam and Aaron. The Lord was using each of them in a powerful way, but it wasn't enough for them. The Lord was using Moses in even a more powerful way, and they didn't like it. Proud people are constantly playing the comparison game. See, the deal is, it's kind of in our nature to want to know where we stand in the pecking order, right? And instead of, of, of genuinely rejoicing, instead of genuinely rejoicing how God is uniquely using them and, uh, and, and others, they, they want to be number one. And the Apostle Paul knows how deadly this comparison game could be. In 2 Corinthians, he says, you know, when they compare themselves, they are not wise. Why? Because it poisons relationships. 
And then third, a proud person envies the gifts of others. And we know what envy is, right? It's being angry that, that I don't have what somebody else has. Remember, in verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses to others, and they were totally undermining Moses' integrity. They were totally undermining Moses' authority. They say, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And so they're angry, and they're open about it. And then they go out talking smack against Moses. Now, most of the time, when it comes to us, uh, it's undercover. Right? Outwardly, I mean, we give thanks for what God is doing through others, but secretly, resent the fact, we resent the fact that other people are more successful. We resent the fact that other people are more attractive. We resent the fact that other people seem to have it, you know, together better than they do, or, or they're more influential, or whatever. No one here does that, right? I think we all know a little bit about that. So lesson one, pride poisons relationships. Number two, lesson two, humility preserves. Humility preserves. Look at verse three. It says, now, the man Moses was very meek, and it gets uh, translated often as humble, and he was more humble than all people who were on the face of the earth. That's quite a statement, right? See, from Aaron and, and Miriam, we learn three marks of a prideful person. And from Moses, we learn three marks of a humble person. Three things that preserve relationships. And, and the first thing I'll mention is this, that a humble person does not retaliate when wronged. Moses is repeatedly attacked with criticism in the, effort, in, in, in the desert. We, we, we see it all through uh, Exodus. You know, every now and then, I'll imagine what it must be like to be, like, the, the place kicker for the Chargers or something. Can you imagine having that job, and every time you made a mistake and missed the field goal, 50,000 people stand up and boo you? I mean, that's a tough job. And as tough as it was, Moses had it way worse with 2 million people. But this attack was especially painful. It was only two people, but it was a family deal. His brother and sister were criticizing him, and it had to do with his wife. Can you imagine? Now, here's what I know. I know that some of us are incredibly skilled at retaliating. We're like retaliation ninjas, <laughs> right? For the most part, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. For the most part. Um, for example, when I'm driving, I used to not always be this way, however. Um, over the last few years, God poured some grace out on me, and for some reason, if someone cuts me off or almost crashes into me, I can roll with it. In fact, it happened just this morning on the way over here on Juniper. Somebody turned right in front of me. I slammed on the brakes. The wheels locked up. The tires were smoking, and it was really close. And for whatever reason, I didn't freak out. I'm like, hey, it's cool. Nobody, nobody died. Nobody crashed. It's, it's fine. But for some reason, if someone honks at me, 
Oh, man. I lose, I lose my cool. I, I, I stuff the retaliation for the most part, but it's not easy. I can't stand it. So I have a plan for the next time my car stalls in heavy traffic as the light turns green. I'll be stressing out, doing all that I can to get the car started and, and, and moved out of the way, and someone will be honking at me. Now, I know that I can't get out and walk back there and punch him because he might go to our church, right? <laughs> so I get out of my car, walk back to the honking driver and say, I'm sorry, I can't seem to get my car started. Maybe if you go up there and give it a try, I'll stay back here and honk your stupid horn for you. <laughs> now, that sounds like a good plan to me, right? It's better than punching them. But it's not humility. It's just retaliating by putting him in his place through, you know, self-righteous one-upmanship. But Moses did not retaliate when he was attacked. And in doing so, you know what he did by not retaliating? You know what he did? He left the door open to have a continuing, a continuing relationship with his brother and sister. So a humble person doesn't retaliate when wrong. A second, a humble person commits his case to God. You know what? If I were Moses and I was dealing with this junk, I'd be, I'd be tempted to strike out with a bunch of questions. I'm like, excuse me, who was it that went up the mountain? Was it you? No? Really? Oh, who was it? It was me. Who received the law? Who spoke to God face to face? Was it you? Has, has your face ever glowed? No? Then shut up. <laughs> Instead, Moses says nothing and simply lets God take over. Now, this does not, don't misunderstand me, this does not mean that, that you should never respond to criticism, okay? It means that you don't have to be defensive because you commit your case to God. So a humble person commits his case to God, and then third, a humble person freely forgives his attackers. And you know what? Moses demonstrates this I think in an emotional and inspiring way, praying for Miriam's healing of, of the leprosy. See, you know what? The humble person doesn't go around just demanding justice all of the time. I mean, if you do, you're in for a world of hurt because life isn't fair. Life isn't just. Now, I know. I know that some of you have been unjustly attacked, and it, has, and it hurts deeply and the world says don't get mad get even or the world says you deserve to be mad and you deserve to get even but God says listen I'm your father I'm God I'm sovereign I love you give your hurts to me let me heal them let me use you to restore instead of retaliate There's a famous story about a famous uh, missionary named Stanley Jones. Back in the day, he was a missionary to India. 
And uh, I love reading about these guys. You, le- uh, you learn so much. He was severely criticized by a friend for something he did not do. His friend started calling him out publicly. And Stanley Jones was hurt by that. So he wrote a letter to present the facts and tell off his friend for unjustly attacking him. But before sending it out, he gave it to another friend to to review and to get advice. And after reviewing the letter, his friend returned it to Jones. And Jones opened it and found only three words written on the letter. And it just simply said, not sufficiently redemptive. Not sufficiently redemptive. Jones never sent the letter, and a few months later, the, the accuser, his friend that accused him, realized that his accusations were wrong and wrote Jones begging for his forgiveness. Because he didn't retaliate, it left the door open for a continued relationship with his friend. So let me ask you this. I mean, as you're thinking about that person in your mind or people in your mind, How do you respond when they attack you? Are you a person who does not retaliate? Are you someone who commits your case to God, someone who freely forgives? Or are there times when your response is not sufficiently redemptive? I mess this up all the time. So we're going to talk about the solution to that In our relationships with others, pride poisons and humility preserves. So, now, let's look at our relationship with God. A couple lessons here. Lesson number one, pride separates. See, God comes down and he rebukes Miriam and Aaron. And what does he rebuke them for? Does he rebuke them for their judgmental attitude? Nope, it goes deeper than that. Does he rebuke them for playing, you know, the comparison game and being envious of Moses? Nope, it goes deeper than that. Is it pride? Well, that's close, but it goes even deeper than that. Specifically, it is their pride in rejecting God's mediator and trying to save themselves. That's what it comes down to. Rejecting God's mediator, trying to save themselves. Verse 4. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And here God reminds them of Moses' unique calling. And God said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses has a unique relationship with God because he functions as a mediator between God and his people. And then God says to Miriam and Aaron, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? See, here's the deal. To criticize God's mediator is to criticize God. To reject God's mediator is to reject 
God. And when Aaron and Miriam say, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? They are saying, you know what they're saying? They're saying, we don't need Moses. We don't need God's mediator. We can save ourselves. We can get to the promised land without God's mediator. You know, um, it's pervasive in Christianity that that most Christians think, even non-Christians, most people in general think that sin is just breaking the rules. It is so much more than that. Ultimately, sin is the pride that says, I can save myself. I don't need God's mediator. And you know what? (laughs) That's why moral people can be just as lost as immoral people. As immoral people, we just go out and break the rules. And as moral people, more often than we may even realize, we keep the rules to save ourselves, to to keep a good standing uh, with God. So like Aaron and Miriam, we are essentially saying, you know what? We don't need God's mediator. If I don't need God's grace, that's for all those other losers breaking the rules. I got this. I can save myself. I can perform good enough to maintain my relationship, you know, with God or to earn a relationship with God or earn my acceptance with with God. You know what? For 20 years I was in denial of how much I was like Aaron and Miriam. You know, I thought and acted like I could make it to the promised land on my on my own. I mean, I don't need I I don't need God's mediator. All I need is a good example to follow. That's it. And as soon as I'm done having fun, breaking all the rules, and I get tired of that, or if it doesn't work out, then maybe I'll, you know, start keeping the rules, and I just find a good example, and then I'll be all set. What would have happened to me if I died in that condition? God gives us a picture in verse 9. He says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. He left them. It is a severe judgment of God for him to depart from us. His absence is a severe judgment. The pride that rejects God's mediator cuts us off from God's presence. You know what? Aaron and Miriam, they experienced a test, a taste. They experienced a taste of hell. Hell is the utter absence of the God of life. It is eternal death. God is saying, you know what, Aaron and and Miriam, if you persist in rejecting the mediator and insist on trying to save yourselves, you will be cut off from my presence. Verse 10. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. Now in the scriptures, leprosy is, is often used as a picture of sin. 
and, and people with leprosy were considered to be ceremonially unclean. They, they, they could not enter the temple, the place of God's presence. They had to live outside the camp and cut off from God's presence and God's people. And, and God used that. God used that to help teach his people about the destructiveness of sin, how destructive sin really is, that sin separates us from God, that separates us from people. It's a critical lesson. Pride separates us from God. And lesson two under this is humility connects. How can we be healed of our leprosy? How can we be healed of, of, of our sin? There's only one way. The same way as Miriam. You trust in the humble mediator. Verse 10 says, When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and, and behold, she was leprous. And, and Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. So Aaron and Miriam finally get the point. They realize that their only hope for healing, their only hope for being connected to God, their only hope of making it to the promised land was to trust in God's mediator. They see their sin of, of trying to, to save themselves. They confess their sin, and in humility, they say, My Lord, forgive us of our sin and heal us. So, verse 13, Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her, please. And God does. Why? Because they trusted in God's mediator. And yet Miriam still had to spend seven days outside the camp. And why is that? Because Moses isn't the true mediator. God is pointing us to a greater Moses. To the true humble one. God is, is pointing us to Jesus. Now, you might be able to help me with this, but I only know of one place where Jesus describes his, his own inner character in his own, in his own words. It's when he says in, in the book of Ma the Gospel of Matthew, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is the true humble one, and he proves it. He proves it when he's under attack. The Apostle Peter wrote about Jesus' humility when he was under fire. And he says this, that when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, you cannot read about Moses and not be pointed to Jesus. But there's even, it's even more than that. Here's what's amazing, is that Miriam points us to Jesus too. Peter goes on to say that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of our sin, all of our leprosy, all of our uncleanness, and he died outside the camp. He was cut off from 
God's people. Not only that, not only that, he was cut off from God's presence. And when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was silence. And in that silence, Jesus suffered the wrath of God, the absence of the Father. Why? Well, he was cut off from God so that we could be connected to God. He was forsaken by the Father so that we could be embraced by the Father. He was treated as if he were as unclean as you and me so that we could be treated as if we were as righteous as him. How? Because he's God's mediator. And as a result... The moment you confess your sin and trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. We are healed of our leprosy. We are clean in Jesus. And you can enter into uh, God's presence with boldness and gladness. And you can know without a shadow of a doubt, with full confidence, that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He will always be with you. You can always know the presence of of our almighty God, our heavenly Father. And here's the deal. Here's where this theology, this knowledge of God, has practical implications for your life. To the extent that we trust in Jesus as our mediator, we will be healed of our pride. We will stop sitting in judgment of others. We will stop playing the comparison game. And we will stop envying the gifts of others. In fact, we'll see that as just ridiculous. And to the extent that you trust in Jesus, we will grow in humility. We won't retaliate. We won't be defensive. We will freely forgive. So, who is it? came to your mind earlier when I asked you. Who are the people that came to your mind when I asked you? As you hold them in your mind, I want you to also think about the way that, that Jesus loved you and the way that Jesus forgave you. If you see that, if you grasp that, how would that change the way that you would respond to that person who attacks you? I, I'm not saying act like nothing happened, and I'm not saying sweep it all under the rug. I'm not saying let that person beat you up. I, I know that the nature of some relationships may have to change, and boundaries might need to be put in place and all that, but God still calls us to love even our enemies. It is worth it. It is absolutely worth it to wrestle with God, with how God wants us to, to respond in light of his forgiveness for us, his grace for us, his love for us. When I fail in this, and I do, when I fail in this, it is God's forgiveness of me that leads me to repentance. It is God's forgiveness of me when I see it that gives me the, the freedom to, to honestly check my heart and ask others to forgive me for my self-righteous, defensive reaction. It's embarrassing. But I'm telling you, it is liberating. And it is worth it. There is 
there are few things more beautiful than seeing a broken relationship restored. Some of you have experienced that. Life really is all about relationships. And because of Jesus' love for you, you can now love the Lord and love your neighbor as Jesus tells us to. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for your amazing grace. God, we thank you that you graciously teach us about the seriousness of our sin because it destroys us and destroys other people. Father, help us to see how much we need a mediator. Give us eyes to see the sin in our own heart. Whether it's sin that looks immoral or, or sin that looks moral on the surface, Either way, it comes down to us trusting ourselves for life. God, help us to see the emptiness of that this morning. Help us to see that you are the true source of life. And Father, when we see how much you have forgiven us and we see Jesus paying the price on the cross because he took all of our sin upon himself to cleanse us, to purify us. God, I pray that that would transform us in such a way that it would make us more like Jesus and that, that we would forgive as Jesus forgave us. That we would extend grace the way that Jesus extended grace to us. That we would love others the way that Jesus loved us. God, we know that, that your gospel is powerful. The truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he continues to do and his promise for the future. That faith in that not only saves us, but it also changes us. So God, um, we pray that you give us clarity. Help us not to be distracted by anything else that's going on. And God, I pray that, that you would enable us to, to examine our hearts honestly and freely confess our sin to you because your kindness leads us to repentance. And God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that has not trusted you as their father, has not trusted Jesus as their mediator, I pray, Lord, that this morning would be the morning that they do, that you would give them the faith, that you would give them the courage to follow Jesus and to trust Jesus. We pray these things in your name.